1: Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sofa. Everybody, welcome. Hello, and welcome to show 288. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone, I hope everyone is fine and dandy, 288, ever closer to 300, Sure, 300, wow! And actually, if you add on those 102 other ones, there you go. So I hope everyone, like I say, everyone's fine and dandy. Coffee's a little bit strong today, so bear with us a little bit. <laughs> Tell you what's coming in today's show. I'm going to play a promo straight away by the fantastic Matthew Simon smith then we have a new article each month. We're going to have a new fact article by James Rogers called Synthetic Voices. James does a lovely introduction about it, but it just basically he trolls the internet for good stories, audio stories. So do have a look out for that. Then the main fiction is Andy Dungan on 20468 Peter Cook. And it's narrated by Dennis M. Lane. And I don't know if you know this, I don't know if I mentioned this, but Dennis is one of the guest appearances on SofaCon 2013. More of that later on, but I think there's only one man can kick off show 288,
2: Mr. Matthews, Sam smith Hello, you magnificent rascals. This is the everlicious Matthew Sanborn Smith asking, is your life missing the vitamins, minerals, and not to mention the essential roughage that a daily dose of mango would supply? Are you prepared to receive mango into your life but have no idea from which direction it might be coming? Well, my friends, grab the nearest set of safety rails, grit your teeth, and brace yourself for mucho mango mayo. It's 31 brand new episodes of somebody's favorite podcast, Beware the Hairy Mango, all crammed uncomfortably into the merry, merry month of May. By the end of it all, you may have overdosed on its sweet and stringy flesh. You may never want to smell another piece of tropical produce again, but for those first couple of weeks, it will be pure heaven, I assure you. So join me and bloat yourself silly on far too much of a great thing. We'll get sick together and reminisce about The Hangover for years to come. Dude, I listened to so much that one time. podcast was like... Coming out of my nose. Good times. That's Mucho Mango Mayo at the home of the Hirsute Fruit. Beware the Hairy Mango dot com. Let the mango in and see how long you're able to keep the mango from coming back out.
1: See, now I'll put a link on. I ordered the same coffee, Matt drinks. And like I say, it just makes us. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, man. (laughs) Matt, honestly, no joking aside there. Thank you so much. Everyone, go over to Matt's site, please. Start getting a little bit of fun. He repackages it in a nice little tiny three-minute section of fun. <laughs> so first up, we're going to kick off with James Rogers' new little fact article called Synthetic Voices. Now, Jimmy's been doing this a kind of while in his own side, but he kind of came over to us and says, you know, any chance we're, we can kind of put it on there? And it's a great idea. Like I say, James is doing kind of <laughs> legwork there, just going around, listening to all the kind of fantastic stories that other podcasts and, you know, Starship's Over as well is doing. So I thought it'd be nice to kind of just, you know, slot it in. It's a starship sofa, it's the ideal vessel, just to, you know, uh, bolt on something like this. So, Jim, sir,
0: Captain Tony, permission to come aboard? Okay, then. Let me start her up. Hello to all you sofa nuts. I'm Jimmy Rogers, and this is Synthetic Voices. For a little over a year now, I've been combing through as many free speculative audio fiction stories as I can find and sharing my favorites on a monthly podcast, Synthetic Voices. Now, our gracious Captain Tony has given me a berth on board the sofa and has asked that I share my findings here as well. If something strikes your fancy, either click the Synthetic Voices link in the Starship Sofa show notes or visit SciencesMagic.com directly for all of the links. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into the top picks for April 2013. First up is The Queen and the Cambion by Richard Bowes. This was featured in Podcastle, episode 257, and was 46 minutes and 58 seconds long. This was a delightful story of Merlin and a Queen of England. I have always enjoyed historical fiction, but I have recently discovered how much fun a fantastical twist can add to such fiction. In this story, we follow a Benjamin Button-esque relationship between the young queen and the wizened Merlin. While Merlin's backwards aging is a well-known trope, this is the first time I've seen it used in quite this way. Next up is For Love's Delirium Haunts the Fractured Mind and Tethered by David Mercurio Rivera. This was featured in Starship Sofa episodes 2.86 and 2.87 respectively, and they were 45 minutes and an hour respectively. These two stories kept me thinking about them long after they finished, always a good sign. The story, For Love's Delirium Haunts the Fractured Mind, sets up the world in which both stories take place. We see an alien people that is not only foreign to our biology and our customs, but that grows even more bizarre as they come into contact with us. Not giving away the clever idea behind the aliens, suffice it to say that the story invokes questions of class, morality, and self-delusion. Tethered, a somewhat more relatable tale, focuses on the more close relationship between one of the young female aliens and a human girl. This story not only shares more about the aliens' physiology, but also lets us into their psychology and how they might choose to interact with foreigners. Overall, these two stories kept me engaged throughout and ended with sufficient power. The next story on my list is Making My Entrance Again With My Usual Flair by Ken Scholes. This was featured in Escape Pod, episode 391, and was about 30 minutes. Need a bit of light-hearted fun in your podcast lineup? Well, look no further than this road trip story, starring an underweight clown and a strange monkey in a box. This farce has a witty yet deadpan humor, that made me laugh out loud repeatedly throughout the story. There is a bit of gratuitous sexual humor mixed in, but I believe the thoughtful listener will find it only enhances the story's bizarre sensibility. Next is Deep Blood Kettle by Hugh Howey. This was featured in Lightspeed Magazine's April issue and was 18 minutes long. I have to admit that this story did not stay with me as others I mention on here do. In fact... Deep Blood Kettle revved up, did its thing, and then left me with a sense of futility and emptiness. Then again, bucking the recent trend of post-apocalypse stories, this is an apocalypse-only story, plain and simple. I found the perspective of the narrator, a rifle-toting country boy, engaging, and I think it might be a nice story to listen to as you rock on your porch with a tall glass of lemonade, or maybe a flask of whiskey. The next story on my list is The Exchange Officers by Brad Torgerson. It was featured in Starship Sofa, episode 285, and was 40 minutes long. One genre of SF I've always had a hard time connecting with is military SF. This isn't to say that I don't like it, but I often find the grit and determination a little too forthcoming from the protagonists. Either that, or they are portrayed as spineless weasels. This is why I was pleasantly surprised by the exchange officers, as I greatly enjoyed both the military aspects and the characters involved. In this one, we meet two military officers used to flying remote aircraft such as UAV drones. In their new role, they are assigned to play human puppeteers to humanoid robots working up in space. When an unexpected attack occurs, the action picks up quickly and doesn't stop until nearly the end of the story. My final top pick this month is Melt With You by Emily C. Skafton. It was featured in Clark's World magazine's April issue and was about 25 minutes. Normally I think of Clark's World for their grandiose literary fiction, but this story could easily fit into the weird section of the cast. Maybe Clark's World's April Silliness, which I'll feature later prompted them to choose this post-apocalyptic story about anthropomorphic lawn decorations. If that description hasn't grabbed your attention yet, nothing will, but I will add that I appreciated both the -the on-the-fly metaphysics and the sheer determination of our protagonist, a plastic lawn flamingo. Our first feature section this month is three clever young adult tales, which were featured on Cast of Wonders. The first is The Field Trip by Alex Schwarzman, which was on Cast of Wonders episode 75, about 16 minutes long. Reminiscent of a Golden Age story, this tale of alien kids on a field trip will have you guessing where, why, and when until the end. Or maybe you'll figure it out before the big reveal. The next story is Dragonomics by Lance Schoenberg. This was also in Cast of Wonders, episode 76, and was about 27 minutes long. This is the kind of clever story I'd like to read to my kids someday. It's approachable for a young audience, but there is no condescension. And the plot? A mysterious man wants to match wits and business models with a dragon. The last featured story is The Long Cut by Tom Howard. It was featured in Cast of Wonders, episode 77, and is about 13 minutes long. First of all, I love the anecdotal intro by podcast host Graham Dumwop, so definitely take a look at that. After that, I hope you'll enjoy the story, especially when you realize just where an unsuspecting family has ended up after getting their directions all wrong. Now for a little April Foolishness, Clark's World has returned with their annual April 1st joke story. It was Spar, the Bacon Remix, by Kids Johnson. It was in ClarksWorld Magazine's April issue, and was 14 minutes long. I'm sure a number of you have read or listened to the original Nebula-winning Spar by Kids Johnson. That story, while quite worthy, is also incredibly X-rated, or at least a solid NC-17. So as for both an April Fool's joke and a clever auto-homage... Kids Johnson allowed them to reprint a version in which all references to sexual acts have been replaced with bacon. It's really quite the listen, especially for bacon lovers. Our final feature section this month is A Witch and a Sorcerer, Two Stories of Magic from the Dark Side. The first story is The Suicide Witch by Vilar Kafton. It was featured in Pseudopod, episode 328, and was about 30 minutes long. This story is set in feudal China, in the cell of a woman hired to act as the caretaker of suicides. The spirits of those who killed themselves are highly vulnerable to possession by angry ghosts. With a mixture of glue and glass, the suicide witch wards against these spirits, and with a measure of cunning, she seeks to change her situation in life as well. And the final story this month is The Red Priest's Vigil by Dirk Flintheart. It was featured in PodCastle, episode 256, and was about 51 minutes long. This story of daring action, dark magic, and religious intrigue should keep you engaged until the end. We follow a red-clad priest with magical powers as he seeks to save the soul of his friend. All the while, the Holy Inquisition is hot on his trail. Well, that just about does it for Synthetic Voices this month. Remember to support your favorite audio fiction podcasts, including Starship Sofa, of course, with either one-time or monthly subscriptions. All the music used in this episode is distributed under a series of Creative Commons licenses, which you can find on the show notes page at sciencesmagic.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next month. There you go. I'll put a link
1: on so you can go over to James's site. Like you say, all them links, what he was talking about, are on there and... James, thank you so much for mentioning Starship. So that shows as well, fantastic. And it's a nice little lead-in, as James mentioned there, Jimmy mentioned there, that you know, donations. Well, you know, I've got to come clean there, and we've got to kind of get on this bandwagon again about donations and, like you say, keeping this girl going. That's the most important thing. But first of all, I just want to honestly thank everybody that's kind of jumped on and signed up to the monthly donations. It has been fantastic. You know, thank you so much. And, I mean, there's probably not many people come along new, who don't know about, you know, we're kind of trying to rally around and get some donations going. But a few weeks ago, if, you know, we kind of smacked into a wall with funds. And it's, it's. I think it's probably, you know, when I look at it, it's probably me, you know, blase, kind of, you know, just putting out the show and not taking any consequences, at the, just dipping into the family funds. Edit. And then it just, you know, like I say, we had to sit down and we came to that agreement that <laughs> this wasn't going to go on. And like I say... If it wasn't for, you know, people who, you know, listen to the sofa and donate to the sofa, that's, it just, we probably would have crashed and burned, to be quite honest. And that's, you know, the, I think the, the, the thing with me was, it was just like, gut wrenched, because yes, it was my little baby, and I certainly didn't want to go down that route. But, you know, we've done so much, and we've achieved so much, you know, and the things that we can do in the future, you know, and like I say, I've pleaded on about this before, you know what I mean, we a we're the first podcast to win, you know, a Hugo Award. We kind of first story we played, Michael Moorcock's London Bone. Do you know what I mean? you kind of even get better than that? Then they kind of come on with you know the stories we've had, it's just been fantastic. And to throw all that away, you know, and we've been going six bloody years, do you know what I mean? It's um, it's quite a feat that probably even longer to be quite honest, you know what I mean? It's it's um, it would have been such a shame and. You know what I, I this is what I love though, because people get it. Do you know what I mean? When I kind of, I mentioned, you know, we were up against the wall and it wasn't looking very good. People just kind of donated, you know, like monthly donations. And I've had some amazing emails. Yes, you know, don't get us wrong, the donations are lovely and it's keeping this girl going. But the emails, just from the heart, do you know what I mean? Just saying, Tony... You know what I mean? I've kind of had a, a really crappy, shitty year. And excuse the kind of language, you know, I'm kind of talking just off the top of your head here. But some people do, you know what I mean? They just have kind of naff times. And we've been there, you know, and it's it's nice just to kind of know that, you know what I mean? Just, we're there to kind of help and just to kind of get them through something. It's just a little, maybe a bad hour or a bad day. Listen to Starships over and just... Honestly, and I know it's kind of, it just does, it just takes you away from it. And that's what I didn't want to lose. Do you know what I mean? I certainly didn't want to lose that. Because it, it's proved it with the amount, honestly, the amount of emails I've got, just wishing as well with it, you know what I mean? And the donations has just been fantastic. And you know what I was kind of thinking about as well is, I wonder why it, it's for me, it's like, I do get such a buzz, you know? And I'm probably thinking it's, you know, in the real world, you know, you kind of, I just, you know, I take the dogs from work, I've got my job and that, and go out with a couple of friends and that. And that's kind of it, where this Starship Sofa has, you know, and the kind of little community we've brought together has just, you know, kind of transformed, I guess for me anyways, and a few people out there, you know, and, and just really made life a little bit more bearable. And the friends that I've kind of created through this, you know, Starship Sofa, even now, brand new friends are coming and like I say, when I go out into the real world, do you know what I mean? It's, it's quite, it's, just, it's almost like freaky bizarre that how many friends I've I've really got, you know, like kind of close friends. There's not that many, you know? And do I know people who in kind of see me village and in the kind of where I work and live that kind of listen to science fiction? Not many, do you know what I mean? But... That's the kind of key thing around the world. We're kind of all coming together, you know, under Little Starship Sofa's community there and enjoying this. And that's what, you know, I kind of so appreciated with the donations, just keeping them coming. And that's what I'm after. Just want to keep it coming and just having, you know, the kind of friendships that we're developing, you know, because I know friendships have been developed outside of Starship Sofa, you know, like getting together and meetups as well. That's been super cool. And, you know... Like, see, I'm just sitting in here in my living room now, and within, I guess, 30 miles, I might know two people that listen to this show. Do you know? Which is quite bizarre. And yet there's so many. Listen to it, you know. So I just want that to keep going. I want it to kind of make new friends online and share ideas and thoughts and just be a part of a group that loves the science fiction, the stories, the fact articles. That's the whole goal for me is to kind of keep it going and keep it doing like that but i kind of need help do you know what i mean it's, it's as simple as that i certainly don't want to kind of run into what we did a few weeks ago if you want to donate monthly donations honestly are just super cool just to help out and just keep it going and to kind of celebrate starship Sova. and one of the you know what I'm kind of mentioning one of the ways we're going to celebrate is sofa con and I, what i want to do is I'm not going to actually put any tickets on sale just yet or anything like that. I want to let you know a few weeks go by. I just keep on mentioning it so everyone gets to hear that we're going to end. You know, we're going to have like a little group for ourselves and have a little kind of con for ourselves because that's another thing about this podcast and this is what gets us excited, mind you. This is honestly the nearest thing we'll ha- have, or I'll probably have, in my lifetime. Well, it's, it's a certainty of time travel. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I still believe we can going to do it. Don't, don't say it's what you just mean. To, we can do it one time. But the, the cool thing is, you know, I recorded, say, London Bone. You know, 2006, we got that story done. Still get emails. You know, people are on different timelines, but still in, you know, in the kind of Starship so far wave of what's going on. And that's just fantastic. You know, I get emails now saying, Tony, just start listening. I'm I'm in show 200. And that's just, you know, spooky great. I love that. Then, like I say, that's time travel for me. That's as near as I'm going to get it. And that'll do for me. So that's hence the reason I want people to kind of catch up and have a little catch up and know, oh, we're going to have like hold a nice event for ourselves, Sofa Con. And I'm going to, you know, over the kind of weeks and that, release some things and tell you what's happening. And, you know, but there is Dennis M. Lane is going to do, you know, okay, one of his film talks there. Dennis is actually the narrator for this week's story. And Amy H. Sturges, have coupled Amy into all sorts of things there. Amy's going to do one of her fact articles, you know, looking back at genre history. I not get this. We're trying to set up a quiz where we take two, two websites and actually hopefully, you know, it all kick off. But one of them has agreed SF Signal is going to be one of the contestants over there. We'll get another set of contestants there. And me and Amy's going to hopefully compare and, you know, read out the questions and have a little quiz as well. So, like I say, that's coming in the future as well. So that's all part of Starship Sovas To keep it all going, you know, getting back to the thing, you know, donations. As simple as that, monthly donations just so help puts everything, all that kind of worry out of my mind and we can just kind of click on, carry on. You know what I mean? The kind of direct debits come out. <laughs> I don't worry about anything. I just carry on with my little world, putting out these shows. And like I say, we don't want that to kind of finish. That certainly don't want to. So, you know, I meant, meant to kind of say from this kind of little run there, a huge thank you, honestly, man. A huge thank you to everyone who's donated. And don't forget, if you do donate, you get the... The Joe Haldeman video events that we did, you know, How to Write Science Fiction with Joe Haldeman. Just a little a thank you, you know. And if you've donated and it donates again, you know, I'll certainly send you something else. You know, we've got time, to, we've got a time travel lecture videos there as well. So, we'll, you know, think about that. But again, from, honestly, from the heart, thank you so much for supporting Starship starships so Let us get into the main fiction then. And it's by Andy Duncan, and the story's called On two oh four six eight Now Wikipedia says of mister And I can like to say remember when I first kicked off into science fiction and discovering science fiction and he was belting out some cracking stories. Born in, in 1964 is the award winning American science fiction and fantasy writer whose work frequently deals with US Southern themes. He was born in Batesburg, South Carolina He's appeared, he's, or his fictions Appeared in a number of venues, including Asimov's Science Fiction, Realms of Fantasy, Weird Tales, Sci-Fiction, and he's actually been on Escape Pod as well. Novels, The Night Cash, which was a standalone novel, came out in 2009 from PS Publishing. He's got some collections out there as well, and some non-fiction as well. He was, or he's won the Theodore Sturgeon Award and he's won two World Fantasy Awards and he's been nominated for Hugo, Nebula and Shirley Jackson Award. The Nightcash was nominated in the Best Novella category for the 2010 World Fantasy Award. And like I say, I can remember, you know, when I kind of, just a young kind of writer, story writer, pushing out some great stories. What I can look on, I think it's the Internet Science Fiction Database says, 1996 was his first short story, Liza and the Crazy Watermen. And that was actually produced by, or came out in Starlight 1. Now, I'm sure I can remember that. 1996, which was edited by Patrick Nielsen Hayden. And actually, this story, you know, all the way, that was 1996. 2012 on 20468 Peter Cook, which we're going to play there now. That was edited by Tor, which is Patrick Nielsen Hayden. Came out in Tor.com on in April 11th, 2012. So, stories in between there. Please check out Andy Duncan's work. I'll put a little link on to his site so you can pop over there and say hello. And, like say, it's narrated by Dennis M. And Dennis is like, don't harp on again, but SovaCon 2013, be there for us. But, give you a little bio on Dennis. Over the years, Dennis has narrated stories for. Starship Sofa and Tales to Terrify, along with producing audio versions of his own poetry and stories. He's now set himself up as a freelance voice actor under the name of Dramatic Voice Productions. If you would like to use Dennis's work, visit dramaticvoice.biz. And like I say, I've got some promo work off, of uh, promo pictures and everything of Dennis for SofaCon. And you know what? Dennis has got this kind of lovely, you know... <laughs> Dennis, he's probably thinking, Tony, don't even go there, don't go there, Tony, but Dennis has got this, <laughs> Dennis has got this like lovely voice, you know, like nice, almost quaint English voice, you know, very gentle, very, and then you see the pictures of Dennis, do you know what I mean, long flowing grey hair, tattooed to Helen back there, Dennis, you're a star, I wish I could just give you a big bear hug. So, and this is a fine narration as well. So the Starship Sova is very proud to present. On
3: 20468 Peter Cook by Andy Duncan. Alone in the black void, the ship thrust forward, then pivoted as it slowed to a stop. Motionless, it awaited the next flyby, the next ship killer. The next opportunity. Shoulders aching, eyes watering from hours of vigilance, the pilot enjoyed a two-second respite. He cracked his knuckles and popped another pontifract cake. Then he drew a licorice-sweetened breath. The biggest asteroid yet had entered his vector display, approaching on the x-axis. Its trajectory would cross in front of his ship, directly in the line of fire. His trigger fingers tensed. He blinked and licked his lips, leaned forward. But there, gliding into view from above, a hostile saucer, one of the big ones, firing blindly, unpredictably. In moments, it would be upon him. Teaser, George. Risk selected, the pilot fired on the Foshan cruiser. A direct hit. The enemy craft became a brief, small starfield, each brilliant point winking out in an instant. As the iron cannon reloaded, the pilot swerved to face the oncoming minor planet gone rogue. He fired, but too soon. The strike, glancing off the oncoming rock, set it to spinning. Deadly fragments hurtled directly at him. George! Teaser! Half a moment, Stanley said the pilot. Be there in a moment. Oh, bother. George's tiny, triangular, two-dimensional craft, hit amidships by a glowing zigzag outline suggesting a rock, had become its own miniature starfield. The screen froze, and, game over, appeared in the reflection of George's long, impassive face, just above the red message light in the corner, that winked, urgent. Oh, bad luck, George, said Stanley his rumpled cherub's countenance, a veritable cartoon of sympathy. No, Stanley. Shed no tears for me. Eight million points and change, an honourable outcome, the best this month. Ah, oh, thank you. He accepted the flask of tea, crimped the straw to release a single mouthful of Lady Grey. Mm, perfect, as always, Stanley. You're really too good to me, you know. Not at all, George. Funny thing about that antique computer game of yours. How do you mean, Stanley? Well, it presents rather a naive late 20th century layman's view of the minor planets, doesn't it? Whacking great rocks whizzing at you from every direction, while, in actuality, someone sitting in the middle of the main belt might scan the sky in vain for months or years and never see even one. He raised up just enough to peer out the nearest porthole inside. Above, pitch-black sky. Below, surface of rock. Rock, 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 and... Wait, what's that? I can just make it out. Ah, yes. Rock. Decorated only by the occasional rock. Count your blessings, Stanley. "'Think of all those miserable drones back home, "'struggling to achieve a cubicle with a window "'and an unchecked view of the stains bypass. "'In contrast, those rocks, as you so ungallantly term them, "'comprise an alien wonderland.' "'It does have an eerie quality, I suppose,' Stanley said, "'his nose squashed against the inner layer of pain. "'The ambient light, I mean.' "'Yes.' reflected much of it. The grebe Streebling effect. Streeb greebling Stanley murmured. No, Stanley, the Strebe-Greebling effect involves hydraulics, specifically the underwater movements of raven's wings. No, the optical effect is Greeb Streebling. When I took the rigorous exams, I remembered it by the two-word mnemonic device. Get stuffed! No, but that's an awfully good one, Stanley. It's driven my own right out of my head. Stanley turned from the porthole. I say, George. Yes, Stanley? Speaking of light effects. Speak away, Stanley. From my vantage point, there seems to be a red light on your screen, appearing and disappearing with some rapidity. Were I asked to describe it, I might be so bold as to say it is flashing. Flashing would be quite a good word to use here, Stanley. It is the most used, I dare say. Well done. He silently toasted his shipmate with his flask, and Stanley returned the gesture with a smile. They companionably sipped their tea. Eventually, Stanley bestirred himself. Well, George? Well, what, Stanley? Are you going to answer it? george shook his head in fond indulgence it's very generous of you stanley to give me the opportunity but there's simply no need the most used can have no answer there's no topping it you see by definition it's the last word on the subject now that's one in your column stanley and no mistake i meant the uh, urgent message what this flashing thing My God! Are you on about that again? Rather a well-trodden path already, don't you think? Stanley, how long have we crewed the St. Beryl together? Uh, Well, let's see, George. I was never fast at maths. What is today's date? According to your well-thumbed and heavily annotated Page Three Girls calendar, it is the 13th of June. Stanley gazed in the direction of the far bulkhead, which, in these situations, wasn't far enough. Let's see. That would make it four years, five months, and twenty-seven days. No, I'll tell a lie. Twenty-eight days, George. Approximately. Rather a loose estimate, Stanley. Well, no need to really dwell upon the hours, is there, George? fixate upon the minutes, obsess about the seconds? No, quite right, Stanley. We'll take the rounding as given. In those four years, five months and twenty-eight days, Stanley, I have observed in you much that is great and fine, indeed admirable. Why, George, I'm touched. I could say the same about you. You could, I'm sure, but were you to make the attempt at the moment, you would find the two of us talking simultaneously. You just beginning to touch upon my admirable qualities, and I, having exhausted yours, moving on to the lamentably related subject of all the ways in which you get on my last nerve. Foremost among them, Stanley, is this tendency to fixate upon the routine. You keep pointing out, for example, that this red message light is flashing urgent. Do you deny it? No, George. I concede the point. I have mentioned it more than once. And do you deny that we have seen such a message before? I do not, George. And do you concede further that were I to call up this message, read this message, worse yet, act on it, worst of all, reply to it, This would have the fatal effect of encouragement. Give those sods, on certis major, the notion that they can bung blinking red message lights at me whenever they please. Time on your hands, lads. I tell you what, let's shove an urgent message at silly old George. Watch him up about. Bit of a giggle. It could have repercussions, you're right, George. It's a slippery slope, Stanley. It's the beginning of the end. These bastards get to feeling they have the upper hand, and the balance of power is shifted, mate, inexorably and irretrievably in their favour. But, George, isn't it already tilted in their favour? Just a bit. I don't follow. Well, we are employees of Trans Space Enterprises, are we not? We are. And thus, we have been living... These past four odd years, some of them very odd years indeed, in a TSE gravity tug, we have, surrounded by the TSE logo on every panel of these living quarters, on the chests of our jumpsuits and the soles of our shoes, on every piece of equipment from the ion drives to our tea things. More tea, George? Yes, please, Stanley. And regarding our surroundings, yes, we are. Dependent. ...on TSE suppliers and converters for all our tea. Here you go, George. Ta! All our food and drink, all our water... ...indeed, the very air that we breathe... ...I await the relevance of this litany, Stanley. All I'm proposing, George, is that, given the circumstances... Mightn't we concede our otherwise dominant position vis-à-vis trans enterprises, our otherwise mm, iron grip on power, long enough to, say, occasionally read TSE's email? Might we have that much uh, largesse? Stanley, I see you now coolly and I see you whole. Bloody wage slave, that's what you are. Oh, now, I don't think. No, you don't, Stanley. And that's precisely the problem. I receive a message from the home office. Your knee-jerk response is that I should read it. Where's the creativity, I ask you? Where is the precious flickering flame of the individual spirit? Bloody snuffed, that's what it is. I offer you an eternal flame, and you hand me a damp box of swan vestas. Here, George, I've got an idea. I should love to believe that, Stanley. I once cherished just such an ambition for you. Why don't I read the message? You read it? Yeah. Here you now, Stanley. That is a thought. Makes a change. Indeed it does. Why should the sceptre of authority always rest in my hand? Stanley... All authority for the Asteroid 20468 mission henceforth rests with you for, all oh, the next half hour or so. Maybe less. I'll just be in the loo. Happy reading, Stanley. You too, George, Stanley said absently, already hunched over the email. George bounded back into the module in good spirits. He had to clutch a handhold to prevent bumping his head on the ceiling. Stanley, I've remembered that two-word mnemonic. Stanley said nothing. He was calculating. The one that enabled me, during my rigorous exams, to recall the grebe Streebling effect. Streeb greebling Stanley murmured. It was George Spigot, Stanley. My own name. Funny I should forget it. "'Well, I don't mean to say I forgot my own name. "'Don't make a habit of that sort of thing, not since university days, "'and I do wonder what Daphne Meacham is doing at this moment. "'What I mean is I forgot that particular use of my own name. "'An interesting window, eh, Stanley, into the dark regions of the mind?' "'Stanley said nothing but continued jabbing numeric keys. "'George sighed and folded his lanky frame into a couch, "'cinching the straps tighter than necessary.' All right, old clever drawers, out with it. What are you ferreting away at? I'm checking the figures. What figures? Course correction. Oh my God, George said. That's what the email was about, Stanley said. We've been pushing 20468, our own alien wonderland, into just the right keyhole to smack Earth on the return swing Stains bypass, and all. But we're using exactly the calculus Certis Major sent six months ago. We checked it for two bloody weeks. Yes, but they've recalculated, so it's to do over again, Stanley said. I bloody well wish they'd bloody well make up their bloody minds, George said. No, no, Stanley said. Be fair. After all, certis Major is modelling a multifold set of inelastic collisions between homogeneous spheres. Once the orbit of a main belt minor goes unstable, you have to take into account accelerated elements, special relativistic conditions. The numbers get the collywobbles. It's a load of old tosh, George said. Exactly. We may have to correct who knows how many times the next two years. "'Better than accidentally shoving a four-kilometre rock straight up Earth's arsehole.' "'We should point it at bloody Sirtis Major,' George said. "'I guess this is the story of our next two weeks,' he faced the bulkhead. "'Wake me up when it's over. "'Now, George, how about some tea?' "'After a pause, George, only partly muffled, replied, "'Tea would be nice. "'Well, bring me some too, will you? "'There's a lad.' "'Christ!' George said. "'This is the worst job I ever had.' "'I doubt it.' "'No, I mean it,' George said, sitting up. "'That's exactly what I told Branson 13 "'in that poncy restaurant at Callowans Dome.' "'What? The TSE oligarch? You never did.' "'I bloody did, mate. Said it loud and clear, I did. "'Branson?' I said, my name is George Spigot, commander of your gravity tug, St. Beryl, and I can say without hesitation that it's the worst job I ever had. What did she say? Well, she didn't hear me, did she? I mean, she was on the other side of the room with all her friends. I was stuck in the serving line waiting for some dry slaw. I hate a soupy slaw. But after I was done eating my fists clenched, my arguments marshaled, my loins girded to their utmost, I walked straight up to her table. Branson, I said, my name is George Spigot, commander of your gravity tug, St. Beryl, and I can say without hesitation that it's the worst bloody job I ever had. I then made a universally recognised gesture of curt dismissal. And what did she say to that? Not one word! Can you believe it? She had left about thirty minutes before. The table was empty. Well, what could I say to that, I ask you? I just walked away. I mean, I left the situation. I've got some bloody pride left. Haven't I? How about that tea? Stanley said. George sighed. Right, he said, unstrapping himself. Lemon? Lovely, Stanley said. And some of those chocolate digestives, please at that moment came a distant thunk a sound remarkably like that of a rock bouncing off an exterior several thicknesses of bulkhead away and all the lights went off the only illumination left was an eerie glow through the porthole cast by the reflective surface of two zero four six eight a manifestation of the grieb Strebling streep griebling effect <whistles> "'Hello, Stanley.' "'Hello, Margaret,' Stanley said, rapt. "'You're looking lovely today.' "'Why, thank you, Stanley,' said the dark-eyed woman on the screen. "'When she smiled, her heavy eyebrows arched, but her smile was short-lived. "'Stanley, while backup power is working fine, and air pressure is slowly normalising, "'the foil deployment system is now manual only.' You and What's-His-Name will have to enact those course corrections on the surface, I'm afraid. You know my bloody name! George called from the galley, where he was trying to salvage a pot of tea. Don't mind him, Margaret, Stanley said. He leaned forward and whispered. He's not at his best, you know, around women of the opposite sex. Margaret laughed. You're a dear, Stanley. Shall I transfer the instructions into your EV suit? Yes, thanks. What it is again? Nothing terribly impressive. Twenty-five gram shard of carbonaceous chondrite, the length of your thumb from tip to metacarpophalangeal joint. Say it again, Stanley breathed. What? Metacarpophalangeal? Stanley sighed. How you tease me, he said. "'with your knowledge of anatomy.' "'None of it first-hand!' George called. "'Shut up!' Stanley cried. "'That's why the sensors didn't detect it sooner,' Margaret continued. "'If they had, I could have sent you an urgent alert.' "'Yeah, well,' Stanley murmured, glancing towards the galley. "'As is, he could have passed without notice, had it not landed in a sensitive area.' God's aim is getting better, Stanley said. Margaret laughed. Stanley, you're incorrigible, she said, fluttering her eyelashes. From the galley came a muttered oath and a clatter. What? Must run, Stanley. Let me know how I can help. Thank you, Margaret, Stanley said. He opened his mouth to add something else. He knew not what, but Margaret's face had vanished. "'replaced by the Omnipresent TSE logo. "'Stanley gaped at it, struggling with his emotions. "'You'll never get anywhere with that one, Stanley,' said George, "'suddenly at Stanley's elbow. "'Jesus!' Stanley cried, "'grabbing handholds to keep his start from propelling him across the module. "'I thought you were over there.' "'Oh, I'm never far away, Stanley. "'Where would I go?' You realise, I hope, that Margaret only replays and augments the stimuli to which you responded positively in previous encounters. She's like your delayed image in a mirror. You're besotted with yourself, you dreadful old narcissus. After all, our corporate masters, in their infinite wisdom and mercy, would scarcely waste top-flight AI on gravity tugs. Don't talk about her like that, Stanley said. Oh, don't get me wrong, Stanley. Margaret's a sweet woman. Sweet, charming, shy, mysterious woman. But, if you're looking to score points in your idle hours, you're better off playing asteroids. I should withdraw that remark, Stanley retorted. You haven't dated a woman since university. Oh, she wouldn't be on about Daphne Meacham all the time. Playing computer games and reading science fiction all day hardly make you an expert in the ways of love. Oh, that's where you're wrong, Stanley. Why, some of science fiction's grand masters were also masters of sensuality. Masters of sensuality, eh? Name one. Well, to proceed alphabetically, Isaac Asimov. What? The one with the Stanley plucked at his cheeks as if fluffing a pillow. Mutton chops. The same. Oh, get off. Repeatedly, Stanley, the space of Vixen, Gladia Solaria, now there's a fantasy woman worth your time. Centuries old, sexually ageless, seducing men of the Bailey family unto the seventh generation. Many an hour have I pictured the 650-year-old Gladia emerging from her bath, daubing and powdering her busty substances. "'winking knowingly at me as she slowly dresses, "'cloaking her tigress nature in a discreet twin-set and pearls.' "'An awkward silence ensued. "'Well, then,' Stanley said, smacking his hands together, "'I'll just pop out, look round, "'and crank the main reflector into line with the new coordinates, "'so the sunlight gives us just the right wee nudge "'to avert a mass extinction impact on Earth two years hence.' and basically stretch my legs, shall I? Hold up, Stanley. I'd like to go with you. What? Nonplussed, Stanley glanced about, waiting for the next shoe to drop, like an ambushed guest on a chat show. I thought you'd, er, be minding the tea. Oh, I hold out little hope for this pot, Stanley. Until the air pressure recovers, we're looking at eight degrees lower boiling point minimum. See, I can do a bit of calculation, too, on important subjects. But we haven't made a manual adjustment in some time. And it's a two-man job, even in low gravity. Well, here we are, two men, sent by TSE in its infinite wisdom. Come on, Stanley, we'll work together. We'll be finished before you can say Pippa Middleton. From Earth's perspective, Minor Planet 20468 the carbonaceous chondrite potato, 4.25 kilometers in diameter, had an absolute magnitude, H, of 14.9, before the St. Beryl landed on it and began mucking about. Its brightness had more than tripled since, thanks to the two-kilometer-long, half-kilometer-wide sheet of reflective foil that was the St. Beryl's purpose. Essentially, a solar sail laid upon the ground to reflect sunlight in a constant stream. It was the slowest and quietest known propulsion system, fully capable of steering a minor planet, if given years to do its work, and adjusted as needed. Fortunately for George and Stanley, the 20468 sail was segmented into hundreds of individually adjustable panels, none smaller than an average rooftop, and none larger than Piccadilly Circus. So cranking them manually into position was not impossible, but merely a... Bloody pain in the ass! Almost done for the day, George. I was done two hours ago, mate. Mind you don't pinch your suit, George. You'd fire off like a rocket. Mind this, George replied with an appropriate gesture. Each had been tempted to shut off the radio, but pointless bickering was at least communication and companionship. Something to listen to, other than the sound of helmeted breathing. Something to focus on, other than the rocks and dust underfoot and the dark abyss above. Or was that the other way around? This is the worst job I ever had. Hmm, that's rather interesting. What is Stanley? That rock over there, George looked about. Which one? Well, do you see that rather dun-coloured lumpish one, with the dents in it? What? Next to that largish hedgehog-shaped burnt almond one with the ochre accents? No, I mean the medium-sized boulderish one with the russet spots. Oh, you mean the one that looks like your Aunt Dolly? Only now that I think about it, George, when I close my right eye, it's more like Uncle Bert. And then, when I close my left, it's more like Aunt Dolly. What? With both eyes closed? No. I meant when I reopen my right eye and then close my left. Ah. Gave me a bit of a turn, that did. I thought, if you see her with your eyes closed, Aunt Dolly must have made quite a set of impressions in the wet clay of your adolescent mind. <laughs> quite a set, yeah. Still, it's a fine demonstration of Pareidolia, Stanley. THE HUMAN TENDENCY TO SEE ORDER, ESPECIALLY HUMAN FEATURES OR VOICES, IN RANDOM STIMULI. LIKE THE OLD MAN IN THE MOON, GEORGE. YES, STANLEY, AND THE FACE ON MARS. THE SHOULDERS ON JUNO. THE PHALLUS ON PHOBOS. THE GREAT BUM ON CERES. SINCE DIVIDED, STANLEY, ON CLOSER OBSERVATION, INTO THE GREATER AND LESSER BUMS. THE MARCH OF KNOWLEDGE IS A WONDERFUL THING. Weren't there a torso and some legs somewhere, George? At least two legs, Stanley. We were mad for extraterrestrial body parts in the early days of exploration. And it does relieve the sameness of the landscape. Do you know, George, the first year we were here, after looking about a bit, I decided to list all the words that meant basically brown, then look them up to learn the fine nuances of their meaning. Do you know how the OED defines done? Like the hair of the ass and mouse. Many a happy hour, Stanley, have I spent at the ass and mouse. It's a pub in Chiswick, just down from the Merry Fiddlers. Is that really true, George? It's not a million miles from the truth, Stanley. Well, you've got rather fonder associations with the phrase than I. Because now, as I gaze about this sere and unforgiving landscape... I soon find myself thinking, Ass and mouse, ass and mouse, ass and mouse, and then I have to look away, don't I? For that way lies madness. It's the rut you've got in Stanley. Not the phrase per se. Why, when I was at university, Londoners from all walks of life sought refreshment and companionship beneath the sign of the ass and mouse. Funny that at the height of its popularity, on the very eve of my graduation, it closed its doors. ''Did it, George?'' ''Yes, and reopened them at the start of business the next day.'' ''Say, George?'' ''Yes, Stanley?'' ''Speaking of a million miles, uh, what I mean is...'' ''May I speak frankly to you?'' ''Of course, Stanley.'' ''It has come to my attention, George, that we recently seem to have drifted apart.'' ''That's probably my fault, Stanley.'' I've been a bit cross, what with the tea and the asteroids and all. And I'm not of the warmest nature in the first place. I do not refer to our emotional relationship, George. You don't? No. I refer to the fact that in the past few minutes of conversation, you, who were standing rather nearby vis-a-vis me, on the surface of 20468, now seem to have drifted somewhat far away on both X and Y axes. Ah, I see what you mean. So that when I look at you, I have to look a surprising distance downward and squint against the reflected glare of the solar panels beside you. Yes, whereas when I look at you, I have to crane my neck a bit and you're something of a dwindling doll-sized figure against the blackness of the void. Moreover, you seem to be spinning "'Funnily enough, Stanley, so are you, "'along with the rest of the minor planet you're standing on. "'Stanley?' "'Yes, George?' "'I fear I may be in the process of becoming something "'of a minor planet myself.' "'Now don't panic, George. "'Remember your thrusters. "'Your simcoe thrusters, George. "'Can you reach them? "'George!' "'Should I lose the thread of conversation, Stanley?' Please understand, it's nothing personal, only a result of vertigo and the, the blessed respite of unconsciousness. Far below George, the tiny, Stanley-shaped figure, bounded about in actions increasingly dissociated from Stanley's tinny radio voice. Mayday! Margaret! Mayday! Are you there? Margaret! Margaret! "'Welcome back, George,' said Stanley. "'Yes, George, good to have you,' said Margaret's on-screen avatar, wearing a bit of glitter on her eyelids this time. "'Thank you. Very kind of you both,' said George, ensconced again on his favourite couch. Looking none the worse for his adventure, he made a language gesture of benediction. "'I forgive you even the three broken ribs.' "'Well, you are lights out, George,' Stanley said. "'I had to trigger three of your suit thrusters in sequence just to bring you in—with Margaret's help, of course—and keep you in the crosshairs of the CO2 laser all the while. "'So, in the circumstances, slowing you rather took a back seat to steering you. "'Good thing you came in at a glancing angle and, I dare say, a lazy speed.' "'One metre per second. Margaret said. "'A temperate speed,' Stanley said. "'The two rescuers gazed fondly at one another.' I hope they don't hurt too badly, Margaret said. In between breaths, scarcely at all, George said. I've had more injuries, Margaret, than you've had hot dinners. Well, I suppose you've had no hot dinners, have you? So there's a total easily bested. I must say, I feel sorry for you, Margaret, having had no hot dinners in your life. He went on to tell a lengthy story about a memorable hot dinner with a non-stop dancer and a professional Jane Mansfield imitator. My! That must have been a task, Margaret said. I must be off. Sleep well, George. She turned to Stanley and mouthed, Nine o'clock. Yeah, he piped, voice breaking with excitement. What's that? asked George. Nothing, Stanley replied, his back to George. He mouthed, Nine o'clock, and gave Margaret a thumbs up. When her dimpled smile faded into the TSE logo, Stanley spun his chair to face George, who gazed at him with blank scepticism, or simply blankness. Stanley attempted to look both innocent and bored. I like the two of you together, George said. Don't know what you mean, George. It's rather like Aunt Dolly and Uncle Bert. If two people can make one another happy, or, in this case, If one actual person and one sweet, charming, shy, mysterious, neurally networked, hybrid, symbolic, -symbolic, sub-symbolic, semi-embodied agent can mutually simulate happiness protocols, then who am I to muck about with it? i ask you. Why, George, you're a closet romantic, you are? That's what Daphne Meacham said, George replied, gazing out of the porthole. Funny old world. Something to read, George. Aldous, or Wyndham, or E.C. Tub, perhaps. Take your mind off your troubles. Indeed they would. Interesting, isn't it, Stanley, that 20th century science fiction writers seldom wrote about the asteroid belt, except in connection with mining. Take Asimov. You mean Asimov, the master of sensuality? Yes, Though in this case, I more precisely mean the master of occasional dropping some stray mention of asteroid mining into a story otherwise about positronic robots and that lot. Ah, but let's apply a true test of literature. How is Asimov at playing sausages and mash? I'm afraid I don't know that game. Don't be afraid, George. It's very simply learnt. Whenever you're reading a passage you substitute each S-word with the word sausages, and each M-word with the word mash. For example, let's open this Asimov volume fairly at random and take a look at his classic story, Mash-off Vesta. Mash-off, that's rather good, isn't it? Exactly what I was thinking, George said. Not the rather good part, mind you, the mash-off part. Ah, here's a good passage. He clicked on the mashed grapple and very cautiously put a foot out into sausages. Clumsily, he groped his way out to the sausages of the sausages. He had never been outside of sausages in open sausages before, and a vast dread overtook him. "'I think the phrase vast dread is awfully well chosen there,' George said. "'What with all those sausages about?' "'Skipping ahead here,' Eagerly, he sausages the sausages for the little blue-white speck that was earth. It had often amused him that earth sausages always be the first object, sausages by sausages travellers when sausages. But the humour of the sausages did not sausages him now. I can identify, George said. When you've made the close lifelong examination I have, George you'll find that very few authors favour both sausages and mash. One large cohort of authors cleaves notably unto the mash. Proust comes to mash, or mind, that is. Proust, exactly, or can't. Whereas Asimov, judging from these passages, seems to be firmly in the grip of sausages. Or vice versa, yet the point I groped for, Stanley if we can beat our boats back that far upstream, is that the early sausages fiction writers, when writing about our quadrant of sausages, could envision it only as sausages of MASH resources, and otherwise cared about asteroids only when they entered the Earth's atmosphere and became MASH. Oh, bother! Catching, isn't it? George popped a Pontefract cake. At any rate, our job among the asteroids was rarely envisioned. I wonder why, George? You may include yourself in the ranks of those who wander, Stanley, but it's crystal clear to me. I mean, it's bloody boring, isn't it? Asteroid mining? There's a good, robust, two-handed, red-blooded fictional theme, rife with colour and incident, ripping resources steaming from the guts of the universe. But here we are, doing nothing but peacefully averting violence, mucking about with reflective sheets. Two weeks on, move it an inch. Three weeks on red letter day move it another half inch. Two weeks on hello bit of a crinkle in that sheet best to smooth it out. I mean, it's not enough to keep the mind alive, is it? But for us, George, it's a bit late in life, you see, to turn to anything else. Oh, I'm not knocking the job for a moment, Stanley. We've got it made, you and me. I agree, George. It's a short life, but a merry one. All I'm saying is, when one looks at it from the point of view of audience, one does not immediately discern the full dramatic potential of reflective sheet adjustment. I ask you, Stanley, who would read a story on that? Tease up, George. (whistles) For Peter Cook. (whistles) Dudley Moore. And Eleanor Braun.
1: There you go. That is today's show. Don't forget, copyright is Andy Duncans. And a big thank you to Dennis M. Lane. Big thank you to Jimmy Rogers for Synthetic Voices. Jimmy, that was a great, you know, first edition for Starship So New fact article. Brilliant. I've put links on to Jimmy's site. And don't forget... Mucho Mango Mio 2013, that crazy man, Mr. Matthew Sanborn-Smith, who's turned, it is, this is like what I was saying about kind of a real friend we've made in kind of this cyber world, uh, Matt is probably one of my best friends out there, do you know what I mean? We never see each other, just email, just talk, but that's, you know, that's all I want. <laughs> I don't want hassle from real world people nagging us, man, I just want to, I like me food, like me sleep. <laughs> I'm totally different in the real world, you know. (laughs) That's what my wife said. If they just knew what you were like, they just knew. So that is today's show. I do hope you've enjoyed it. I do hope you'll think about, you know, donating, you know, to the Starship so far. I've been doing this for 2006. Come on, someone else's turn to get to the bar. (laughs) That was a joke from last week, by the way. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me.
2: survive this terrible ordeal?
3: Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of... stories. Sofa, a creation procedure initiated. Shovel set for Airlock will be opened in two...